Welcome to episode two of Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. So excited on today's podcast, we have a variation of guests. Um, we had a chat with Valdi, first of all, from Kenya. Um, she spoke about shopping and obviously because, you know, I love shopping, I, I kind of gravitated towards the story. But what's really interesting is that in Kenya, if you're from Kenya or from the East African region, you may be familiar with Gukomba Market, which is the largest open air um, market where they sell all of the biggest like international brands at a fraction of the price. So all the expats, all the, the Kenyans who want to go out there and people from East Africa who want to go out there and look nice, but not at the price of like, um, you know, at, at the exorbitant prices. They always go out there. So we had a conversation with her to find out about the history and the importance of it. And obviously in reference to the fire that's been, the, the fire that has recently taken place there, um, unfortunately. Then we also caught up with an artist, um, Sandile Radebe. I would try to say all the things he's going to say, but he's so creative and so um, excellent in the way that he describes art and describes the power of language and how it is that it brings art and language together that I think you want to stick around for that and you're about to be you're going to be educated and your eyes are going to be open you're going to be like I never even knew that that existed and then you know every single podcast I do an interview with somebody who's going to make me proud so that when I go home I tell I tell my dad I say daddy you know what today I actually worked hard we had a chat with um with Dr. Koza, who is an amazing author. Um, he's also a businessman. So Dr. Koza is the author for Attuned Leadership, Let Africa Lead the African in My Dream. He also is the former chairperson of NetBank. He's just, in terms of the work that he's done with the continent, and we had a conversation about leadership and the art of being an African statesman or the lack thereof um, when, you know, from his perspective, when you kind of look at what's going on around the continent. So we had a conversation with him, very enlightening, and you'll also feel like you're in the middle of a history lesson and I think it's also kind of cool that he knew um, the former president Nelson Mandela I'm just saying association you never know what will happen and then we wrapped everything up with Akin Omotosho you just type in if you type in Google Akin it will just go Omotosho because since the days of God is African right up until now um, with all the work that he's been doing he's been one of the biggest um, creators the biggest minds um, and the most important uh, people when it comes to the African film industry he's of Nigerian um, descent but he's based in South Africa and he's been doing a lot of work to showcase African film in the most amazing way. So we had a great conversation with him and apparently I'm going to be cameoing in some of his movies. I'm just saying no, maybe not. Let me not embarrass myself. But with all that said, let's get straight into it. Hi Valdi, welcome. Mambo. Barisana. Uku fresh? I'm just trying to like, you know. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Valdi. How are you doing? Very well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. We wanted to have a bit of a conversation with you around Gikomba markets. Just for people in general, if you're not from Kenya or within that region, you know, a lot of people don't know how important Gikomba market is because like, every, you know, hundreds and thousands of tons of clothes are imported there, which obviously brings an import revenue to the government. And of course, consumers who now want to dress and fancy clothes, you know, that are with that are genuine and authentic, but at a better price, can also go out there. But on the other hand, um, people who are industrialists and perhaps the the competitors of Gikomba Market feel that it has undercut the Kenyan um, textile industry and the local garment industry. Now, obviously, on Friday the sixth of October, if I'm not mistaken, there was a fire that happened at Gikomba Market. If you could just, from your perspective, give us an idea of why you feel the Gikomba Market is important economically and his historically to the people of Kenya? Well, Kikomba market is actually the largest informal market in East Africa. Mm. So it's not just Kenya's uh, largest market. It's the whole of East Africa. It stretches over 
kilometers. There mm-hmm. are thousands upon thousands of stalls. And as you said, a lot of these clothes are, are donations from the West. Mm-hmm. So people make a living. Uh, they support their families by selling these secondhand clothes that were destined for charity, mm-hmm. um, but that then end up um, in these pavement markets as they're known um, here in East Africa. You'll know if you've been uh, that yeah. uh, this is a source where people get a lot of their clothing simply because it's unaffordable for them to go and shop uh, for new clothes at places like Edgar's or Woolworth's. Um, Plus, um, Kenya has a massive informal economy. In fact, it's estimated that about 95% of this country has an informal economy and only 5% is is formalized. So you can understand that this is how many people actually make a living, put their children through school, put food on the table. So Kikom market and the trading that happens there is a critical lifeline Mm. for many, many informal traders um, in Kenya. You raise a lot of very important and valuable points, you know, especially with regards to 95% of Kenya's economy being informal. With regards to the competitors and the industrialists, which sort of people do you feel see Gigombo market as being a competitor or not being good for the um, Kenyan economy and industry as a whole? I think that people who might be um, trying to formalize the Kenyan economy, so there has been a massive um, push towards that. Um, In recent years, you've seen new star malls come up, but you've also seen um, international companies try and enter the market, uh, particularly South African companies um, (laughs) as well. So there's Jet Stores, there's Mm -hmm. Woolworths um, and so forth. So those are the kind of competitors. But the thing about Kikomba is that it has such a massive legacy. It's been around for Mm. for a long time. Mm. Um, It's literally like Kenya's clothes treasure market. Mm. Um, a lot of people, expats included, go and shop there. Um, so so that is why it is so important uh, for the country. Um, but I think that having a fire at Kikomba isn't new. There is a fire practically every year. Wow. Uh, last month there was a fire there as well, back in September. And I think what makes this one different is that given the current political situation and the fact mm. that arson is suspected, it's gotten everybody uh, to pay attention to what it is, but also the fact that there's been two fires uh, consecutively in two months makes you see that government isn't really addressing the fact that the the market is overcrowded. Access Mm. uh, for firefighters is incredibly difficult because there are so many stalls packed so close together. Um, It is a constant fire hazard and there isn't a fire station close to there. Mm. Uh, So they're seeing all of these problems and what the Kikomba traders now want is for the government to actually formalize uh, the market, to set up stalls where they will be able to to have some form of shelter, but that isn't made of just a wooden structure Mm. where they hang the clothes or put the shoes out or the dishes. Mm. Absolutely. That increases the hazard. Thank you so much. Um, for just spending time with us in Africa State of Mind. Enjoy the rest of your day. And I'm looking forward to shopping with you. I'm looking forward to, to showing you um, my hood, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Valdi. Enjoy the rest of your day. Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Get it on iTunes now.
Dr. Koza, it's such a privilege and just like it's amazing to be able to speak to you and to have you in Africa's state of mind. I tried to think of like a clever way to introduce you, but I kind of struggled with it because your work, like, you know, from attuned leadership to let Africa lead the African in my dream really embody all that uh, this podcast Africa's state of mind is all about. Um, you're obviously very successful in terms of the business and banking sector and you, you're a voice for people, even though you're really powerful, you're a voice and a very necessary voice where you speak speak out against and speak for what is right the whole time. So welcome to Africa State of Mind. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Lee. Um, let's talk about, first of all, your book, Let Africa Lead, that was forwarded by Nelson Mandela, but more from the perspective of, obviously, like when we look at the way that things are within South Africa and Africa at the moment, everybody has a view that they know what, you know, the late Nelson Mandela would have thought about the leadership in South Africa and in Africa. And, you know, everybody's like, he would have been on this side on that side from having a relationship with him and knowing him what do you think he would have thought about the state of leadership in Africa at the moment in general I'm inclined to believe that he would have been um, a bit depressed with the majority of leaders that have emerged now he would have been somewhat uh, disappointed also with uh, the retrogression on the concept of the African Renaissance Mm-hmm. Whereas his successor actually went so far as to dub this uh, century the the African century, mm-hmm. following the disappearance of the five that actually came up with the concept of the African Renaissance and uh, were exponents for it, namely uh, Tabombeki, President Obasanjo, Botteflika, and uh, to a degree the then president of uh, Senegal. Uh, following them um, disappearing from the scene, we don't have real exponents who actually champion the African or Pan-African cause. Neither do we have uh, the kind of leadership in South Africa, African leadership, that actually um, is concerned about exploding myths about Africans. Mm-hmm. and um, uh, serving as exponents for that which is wholesome where Africa is concerned. Mm-hmm. So I believe um, he would have been a bit disappointed about that. He might have been fairly satisfied with the degree to which um, Atabombeki was uh, leading South Africa as a technocrat mm-hmm. who understood globality and the whole process of globalization and our best um, to position South Africa and Africa beneficially or at least equi-beneficially from the globalization process. Uh, The leadership that we have now cannot even conceptualize globalization. When they go to China, they forget that China is a continent. It's not just a country. Mm. The various regions are even bigger than most African countries. But when when Africa comes here, when uh, China comes here, they behave like they were just uh, one monolithic country that uh, is working for the benefit of a country called China. And here, we cannot even think regionally. You have uh, little countries like um, Lesotho, even imagining that they can actually engage in an economic tango with China. I mean, there's no question that no... will be Trump will be trampled. It's, it's just like a massive tango between the elephant and the mouse. Mm. Um, it's clear who will be trampled over. So Africa should, at the very least, think regionally. We should just about do nothing with a China unless we went there as SADC. And then the person, more preferably, as Africa per se. But we actually have to stop being a continent in fragments.
and find ways of aligning the regions uh, as in ourselves, yes, SADC and your particular part of the country, Mm. the East African community, and ECOWAS at at the very least. Mm. But ideally, also have in there what people dub uh, Central Africa and the Maghreb region. That uh, vision was actually and this vision was being very well articulated by the five that I referred to who were the conceptualizers of the African Renaissance. That's so true. You know, um, Dr. Koza, when you brought the analogy up between uh, with China and how it's like the elephant and the mouse, you know, I've, I've been blessed enough to be able to go to a lot of different African countries and it's so crazy. It's like even when you go to Angola, you go one year and it's like there's zero Chinese population and then you go back a year later, not only is there a Chinese population, but there's a whole new breed and race of people. I'm like, what are, the, you know, where are they from? And it's, you know, when I heard that story about how basically the, the Angolan leadership had basically imported ex-convicts from China to go and work in yeah. Angola to build this new Luanda, you know, the new city of Luanda and everything. And then you see it yeah. being replicated in different parts of the continent and yeah. Somaliland, all of these different things where a lot of the people are coming in. And when it comes to leadership, you know, obviously there is a, you know, everybody will say that in terms of the private sector and business and investment, it's important. But what are your thoughts on the way that leaders are working with investors, with foreign investors or with the with the private sector and how it works for the good or not in the good of the favor of the average person from the different African countries? The, what I find uh, particularly excruciatingly painful is the fact that we as Africans forget very, very easily that not so long ago in the memory of nations, you know, in 1884, 1885, the scramble for Africa and its partitioning. Mm-hmm. It's not so long ago. We got uh, balkanized as a continent and uh, we were distributed amongst so-called uh, conquering nations. And lately, the uh, scramble for Africa is assuming more surreptitious, uh, more subtle mm-hmm. ways of uh, actually colonizing us. You do have the Americans uh, being friendly in certain respects. Uh, and and we get into uh, uh, agreements even to hold someone or ostensibly (laughs) hold someone like Algoa with our eyes closed or only half open. And then we go into working relationships with uh, the Chinese, uh, maybe them assisting us build our headquarters in Ethiopia. Mm. We actually literally sell our souls uh, because even in terms of the design of the building, Mm. There is nothing indigenous about it. And and yet we do have um, architects that we should insist work hand in hand with uh, the Chinese to to make sure that we give our headquarters an an African character. Mm. We should also make sure that um, whatever they do ostensibly for our good, the terms are ours because this is our continent, this is our country. But as things uh, appear to be panning out, they come in, essentially design the stadium, provide the floodlights, tell us what the regulations uh, for the play are going to be, and appoint the referee. And we just move in there, play like, very, very blindly and then get to be eternally grateful mm. for the fact that they have actually come here. There is a sense in which uh, there are industries where we should actually dictate terms. Uh, you take food security. You mentioned Angola, you mentioned the DRC, you mentioned your own country in Uganda. 
if you drop a seed anywhere in the bush, it will germinate. Yeah. Uh, some, yeah. Areas, some areas are so fertile. So exactly. Yeah. In Uganda, you and don't have to work hard for it. It it just germinates, yes. Correct. just germinates. Mm. And, and imagine if we actually use the modern methods of uh, agriculture. Mm. the uh, harvest will be so bountiful that we would feed ourselves. There will be no little kids with malnourished looks and uh, mm. protruding tummies. That that should not be happening if we had uh, the sound kind of leadership. You're right. So that's why yeah. I, be- I believe um, uh, Mandela would actually be, be quite depressed. Mm. I, and it, it so happens. He did not just write the forward to let Africa lead. I worked with him for three to three and a half years as chairman of ESCOM. Amazing. I got to understand him as as a, a wonderful human being and exquisite leader. Definitely. Sure, we definitely need more leaders like him and people who have voices like you do. Um, Dr. Koza, one of the things that I'm the most passionate about, I feel, is the continent, you know, and just all the possibilities. And I've mm-hmm. often had conversations with friends and everything where I just feel like the biggest letdown for me, and people can say whatever, and, and I know that we don't only look to leadership, is the fact that I do feel that the leaders of Africa, just in general, are not doing, you know, the continent service. So if we look at like some of the bigger events that have happened in 2017, so in Cameroon, you know, there's a whole fight happening between Francophone and Anglophone Cameroon. In Rwanda, Kagame was praised as being an amazing leader and, you know, he's done a lot, but there's been a referendum where he can stay in power until 2034 and it's now constitutionally correct. Um, President Museveni has been in power longer than I've been alive, (laughs) you know, which is, I mean, you know, when my aunt was, I was having a conversation with her when she said, I was like, wow, he's been there 36 years. I'm like, that's longer than me, you know. Um, yeah. Kenya is also in an interesting position with the re-elections, and then Liberia is about yeah. to vote in a new president. Um, with Sir Ellen Joseph, um, you know, she's no longer there. Um, anymore, sure. you know. And obviously in December, you know, the big ANC caucus that's going to be happening in December. What do you think 2017 is going to be defined as the year of in terms of African leadership, and what has been the standout story, be it good or bad, in terms of African leadership for 2017? You cover an entire tapestry of what is happening on the continent. I happen to experience some of the tragedies uh, unfolding personally. Um, the company that I chair lately, Loblack, mm. is an investor in, in Cameroon. Mm. So you go there, even as you arrive, mm. um, it, it's just like you're in a war zone. Yeah. Uh, it's, ten- it's tense. Mm. And essentially all because colonizers or colonialists took charge of us, mm. partitioned us um, into Anglophone and Francophone, and we succumb to those manipulations, forget that uh, at core we are all Africans, that the, the boundaries are essentially uh, artificial, mm. that we effectively belong together, and we should actually consolidate, align ourselves, and then use Africa as our anchor and relate to the rest of the world. But your question is, what do I find most depressing? I think all of the uh, instances that you have mentioned, I find Kenya particularly worrisome. Mm. On my board at Loblek, um we have one, Edin Joroge, who actually is from there and is mm. very, very knowledgeable. So he keeps one informed. I mean, he has become a friend as well, in addition to being a colleague on the board. I want to believe that the two leaders there should actually have found an accord, found a way Mm. of addressing this. If if, if there are differences, they're bound to be if if one is in power and another is in opposition. But, uh, you know, blasting each other in public the way they do. is ridiculous. Uh, t- yeah. Talking talking mm. as though there was no Kenya with a commonality of people, mm. which is what is, I believe, key. Mm. 
I am at least extremely depressed, uh, mm-hmm. essentially because uh, both leaders I, I, had, uh, I had grown to cherish and respect. Mm-hmm. And one was pinning one's hope on either one of them actually winning. Mm-hmm. Because I believe uh, there is a sense in which I think either one of them could actually have done a good job. But uh, one of the things that uh, I consider very, very important where African leadership is concerned one of the key features that I believe we need to develop as African leadership is to make sure that we produce leadership that is politically and, and personally as gracious, honorable and magnanimous in defeat as it is in success. Wow. So when I experience what I uh, observe in, in Kenya, that, that's where I say, I believe we actually feel that we are actually doing ourselves in as Africans. And I want to believe that um, we should also develop the kind of, of leadership that does not shy away from you know, difficult or unpopular decisions or measures mm-hmm. uh, like we tend to do now. I think very, very importantly, the maturity of leadership in in Africa should assume the understanding that the success of others does not necessarily diminish their own success, but as to the commonwealth. All of these are signs of maturity that I believe we should be working be, towards. And during the presidency of Becky, because it was very, very cerebral, very intellectual, these were beginning to take shape. Mm. But right now, if I went to the president of the day and, and spoke this language, you would be totally lost, essentially because what conceptual basket he has is empty. Sure. Dr. Koza, thank you very much for spending time in Africa's state of mind. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Koza. Good luck. Africa's state of mind with Lee Kasumba. Get it on iTunes now. Good morning, good morning, good morning. <clears throat> Shouldn't have had milk. Guys, I don't sound clear. I can hear the milk in my... I'm joking. <laughs> Everyone just look at me. They're like, Lee, just get on with it. <laughs> good morning. How are you doing, Sandile? I'm okay myself, Lee. I'm all right. Thank you. Welcome to Africa State of Mind. So excited to have you here. Thanks for having me here. I'm a lover of art and creative, and I really believe that it plays such a huge role with regards to um, bringing people from the continent together and really painting pictures, excuse the pun, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and painting our stories as Africans to the rest of the world. Mm. Talk to us about how it is that you got involved in art. Um, since childhood, I've always been drawing. Yeah. Uh, but good drawing or like the kind where your parents were like, look. <laughs> I, was, I was just copying everything that was in front of me. Mm-hmm. And everybody got used to the fact that Sunday is going to be the last one to eat because he's finishing his drawing. Mm. So I started by copying uh, Mike Tyson, cars, anything in front of me. I wow. just copied, copied. That's how I developed my skill. Yeah. And it was a natural thing. Nobody like told me, do this. It just... Liked mm-hmm. it. And did you ever get any formal training in terms of art or was it just, I mean, from that stage at all? No, no, no. Yeah. Um, I started learning. I was formally trained at varsity okay. like, uh, throughout my whole life. I've mm-hmm. just been self-taught. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And just with regards to formal training and, and African art, because, you know, I, d- I feel that within the continent in general, when it comes to the creative, a lot of people are they like natural talents and there isn't always that much emphasis, like whether you're in music or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. The emphasis is not always put on in terms of getting formal training. Everybody's like, mm-hmm. we're creative. Our people we've have been talent. doing it. We've got talent. Yeah, talent yeah. is everything, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
What are your views on that? Um, specifically from the artistic perspective, you know, if people say to you, they're like, I want to be an artist. This mm-hmm. is what I want to do, but I know I just have the talent. Like, yeah. what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Being formally trained gives you a balance. You, I mean, of course, uh, raw talent is important. It's, it's your drive. It's your reason for doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, once uh, you've put whatever you are gifted in onto, uh, made it a, a commodity, you need to find a way of locating it within an industry, making sense of how it works, and which involves a lot of other things, uh, marketing yourself, promoting yourself, mm-hmm. contracts, engaging, interacting, responding to people, and also seeing the relevance in what you're doing in relation to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. So like formal training allows you to locate yourself within the industry in a way that you have a clear sense of where you could go, what are your possibilities, you mm-hmm. can see your trajectory as a cultural practitioner within that industry. Okay. Yeah. And that's really interesting, actually. Like, you should, like, I wish everybody would actually understand just the importance of it, you know? Because mm. I do find, especially now, I think, with the way that the world has gone and with social media and all of this stuff, everybody just has this thing where they're like, I'm just talented and I can just get about it and everything is overnight. Yeah. Um, but for you, um, in terms of your first big break as an artist, where mm. did that come from? Like, what is the first big break? cannot pinpoint one particular instance, but there's been a few that have been significant for me. Okay, uh, let's talk about those. Yeah, I did a, a, a solo show. Um, that was like one major thing for me. Mm-hmm. I also curated a, a show forever at Reed Cape Town. Oh, that wow. Was a, that was another one. Talk to us about that show because that was quite... Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, well, ever at Reed Cape Town approached me like, yo, Sandile, this is... Uh, the idea we have in mind, how mm-hmm. do you feel about it? Give us an idea, then we'll look at it and respond to you. Mm-hmm. I came up with the concept Material City, which was essentially focusing on the mate- use of materiality nice. in visual communication. Mm-hmm. And they liked the idea, and then I had a few ideas that I felt worked experimentally and explored materiality in the practice mm-hmm. to give their interpretation or understanding of what mater- how materiality informs the understanding of city on or in a in not, not in a general sense but more specifically uh, human habitation and how materiality is used to make meaning uh, for human beings uh, in any given setting so that was uh, roughly the the idea and um, got these artists they were excited to be on yeah. board and they made work I looked at the work visited them wow. yeah curated the work um, yeah, did a lot of back and forth interactions. So I got to learn about how I think about materiality mm-hmm. through how they uh, practice or involve materiality in their practice. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And y- you're collaborating with Afropunk and Umuzi um, mm-hmm. currently on a project, which is so awesome to see language and mm-hmm. art kind of collaborating. Talk yes. to us about how, first, you got involved in that, mm-hmm. and then, then we'll get into the whole idea around the you know the relationship with language mm-hmm. and art mm-hmm. and African culture. Okay. So let's yeah. Um, generally, in my work, I work with uh, language and how language uh, permeates every aspect of human interaction, mm-hmm. uh, specifically text, the written language. Mm-hmm. So coming from a graffiti background, uh, where you ornament text, yeah. um, that is my thing, and yeah. my work was about that. Mm-hmm. And like Umuzi was aware, this is my practice, and they invited me on a language exhibition. Oh wow! Um, collaborating or. Mm-hmm curating with Bule, who's a, a, a linguist. Mm. So, and also the good thing about me and Bule is that we, we get along, we understand each other because we both have a passion for hip-hop. Mm. So it's easy for us to... We all really three now have a passion for hip-hop. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, yeah, they invited me and then we... Uh, they had this uh, language idea and yeah. then, like, me 
as an artist that yeah. works with uh, writing systems mm-hmm. and more specifically which is a indigenous southern African writing system mm-hmm. which is what I'm using in my work yeah. as well as graffiti lettering which is the Roman alphabet yeah. Latin alphabet and uh, and which is something more indigenous yeah. um, and that was my contribution as a visual um, artist who mm-hmm. works with language writing systems mm-hmm. and Pule is a linguist who deals with his uh, writing systems. And if there was one other African country where you'd like to go and share your art and, and collaborate with artists, which African country oh, would you pick? Too many. Too many. Ethiopia oh. that comes to mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because of the churches. Yeah. I'd like, really, I'd like to see Ethiopia. Then I'd also like to see like West Africa as well. Yeah. Like uh, Ghana. I'd like yeah. to see Ghana. Oh no, there's too many. Too many. <laughs> It's Congo. I like yeah. to see for the music, you yeah. know, Kinshasa, yeah. uh, Mozambique, uh, Malawi. And yeah. I have my friends in Malawi, and I always say, I'm going to go to Malawi one day. They're yeah. like, you, gotta, you, you better come. Go. So I'd like to check out Malawi and speak more Chichawa. Um, Zambia, Zimbabwe. Oh no, there's too many. Too oh, no, many. I see the whole of Africa. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure you will. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending time with us, Sandile. Thank you for having me on the show. Cool. Africa State of Mind. Good afternoon, Akin. How are you? Fine, and you? I'm right, thanks. It's Lee Kasumba acting like you don't know me. Welcome to Africa State of Mind. I know you, Lee. Come uh, I, on, I, now. <laughs> Come on, now. Akin, the amount of movies that I tried to be in that you were, you were you're creating and you said no every time, you literally like you burned my heart. I'm like, I can, I can act, you know? I know, I know, you know, you know what? It, it's about trying to find the right project, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta find the right project. Uh, I'll, I'll pretend that I believe you for now. It's all good. <laughs> I can welcome to Africa State of Mind podcast. So exciting to be able to have this um, conversation with you, and thank you for taking time out in your day. Thank you for asking me, and um, yeah, great to be on, and congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. So, Akin, let's just talk a little bit about. Um, obviously, you know, you're Nigerian, but you've lived in South Africa for bulk of your life. Um, let's talk about for you the differences between the Nigerian and the South African film industry as somebody who works in both industries and who's now working in the Nigerian and South African. And film industry. What are the key similarities and the the key differences? I think, um, firstly, I, I guess the the one thing would be the Nigerian film industry. Obviously, we know about Nollywood and the and what that what that infrastructure has meant for not only Nigeria but the success in mm. terms of the diaspora and everybody consuming that kind of content. Mm. And and for me, the takeaway from Nollywood is always the idea that. It started from nothing. Like there was no government support or anything. This mm. thing came from, uh, you know, blank VHS tapes, basically, mm. to to the point. And I, you know, I always say you started blank v- VH- VHS tapes, and then there's Debanch singing about Genevieve, and um, <laughs> and then in that track, you know, Oliver Twist, twenty years later. Yeah. So, so that idea of, of 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 that is always quite inspirational. And I think, and South Africa, obviously, also. You know, when we were doing God is African, mm. you know, there was no kind of government, there was no support, actually, mm. at the time. And to now, where we're at a stage where the Department of Trade and Industry has stepped in and you have all these other players stimulating the growth of the film industry, both industries are actually at a very fascinating time, which is why you're seeing a bit more Nigerian-South African collaboration. They've always been there, mm-hmm. kind of underground. But now it's becoming even more and more official. Mm. Nigerian delegations coming to KZN and, and vice versa. So both industries for me 
have always um, had potential and hopefully in the next couple of years they can band together more constructively and, and, and start to make uh, uh, much more impact. Um, and, and like I say, you know, you go to the cinemas, you'll see Nigerian films out there mm. in South African cinemas and hopefully the same thing for South African and South African films have been released in Nigeria. So mm. there's, there's something exciting beginning to happen, mm. uh, even though it has been happening, but now it, it seems to be, you know, into the fore. Akin, let's also just um, get into the whole idea. You know, with with, the, with Nollywood, for example, you know, obviously um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, they're amongst the highest producers of film. Nollywood is amongst the highest producers of film, second to Bollywood only, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, but like how important do you think quality in general, like for Africa as a whole in terms of creating films is versus like the quality of the stories is versus the technical aspect? You know, because Africa's got a lot of stories um but uh, a huge thing is that when it comes to technicalities and putting it together that seems to be one of the the challenges that the industry in africa as a whole is still dealing with how do, how do you feel that we should get past that well you see i think that that even that idea of the technicalities um you know i think when people when people talk about that they, they, they're thinking of the beginning of uh, a particular movement mm. as opposed to if you look you know as early as last year especially in terms of the Nigerian film industry. You know, there was a focus on Nigerian films. This year at the Toronto Film Festival, there were, you know, Nigerian films in there. So the, the Nollywood has moved in a sense that there's what, even what they call a new Nollywood, mm. where these things of how does it look and all that, that's like, that's way past. So the, the pro, the, you know, unfortunately, we never talk about African films in a continuum. Unfortunately, mm. we're always talking, not, 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 not in the circle, but I'm saying the audience is always almost fed this as if everybody's starting from the block, as opposed to actually that new Nollywood has been around. I'm even saying new Nollywood, and that new Nollywood has been going for like 10 years. Mm. And they've produced different kinds of films that, that, that are so different from the early days of, of Nollywood. So actually, it's not, a, it's, it's, a, um, it's not a true reflection of what's going on on the ground. Mm. Where I think uh, Nollywood has been very successful is in the audience, building the audience, of yep. people creating an appetite for the films. Mm. And, and South Africa, where, where we have a lot of work to do, is getting people excited about the films on a, on a regular basis. Mm. Without, you know, I know Nigerian directors who they finish one film, it's in the cinema, they're, in, like they're, they're moving on. The audiences are like, what's going on, you know? Mm. Um, if you start, the, 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 the audience is hungry for that content. I find here people are hungry for the content, but the, 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 the move to getting people into the cinemas or it's, it's always a question of how do we get people into the cinemas and how do we get people excited about our content? Mm. And I think that's where the two industries are different. And that's where we can try and get better mm. at, building, at building the audience. Definitely. I'm not sure if I answered your question. No, you answer, You more than answered it, Akin. I forgot that you're so clever. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Akin, and then also you've, you've, you've gotten to work with um, Mo Budu, who's possibly one of the, wow, just what she's done in terms of the, the general TV and film industry in Africa is, it's like nothing short of like phenomenal, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So just, you, with, cause if I'm not mistaken, you were involved with the TV series 50. You were directly. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. I, I, I directed. Um, the, the, um, the 26 episodes of the of the of, of 50, and 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 again, that was an interesting experience because, like you're saying, here's Mo. She has a TV station. She's phenomenal. Yeah. They had a, exactly, absolutely, and she had a successful film, and she turned it into a TV series. Mm. Now, obviously, you know, we're seeing things like a number number here and overseas. So, so already the fact that 
she's doing that and it's her TV station. You know what I'm saying? Like all that stuff is very inspiring. Mm. Um, it makes you think out the box and how content can, can be teased out, you know? Mm. So the film is great. The TV series was an opportunity to tease out those characters even more, you know? Mm. Um, obviously she's had success with wedding party. They're shooting wedding party too. Yeah. She was, she, her film was in TIFF. So that's what I'm saying. Like, that's what we should be celebrating. That's what we should be embracing. That's what we should be looking at. Mm. And, and you see like every Thursday night, you know, there's a live tweets. There's a, you know, the audience really respond to the material. So, so she's phenomenal. She's amazing. She's somebody who I have um, tremendous amount of respect for. Yeah, I really, I love her. I actually hate the word hustle, but I really love her hustle. I think it's just amazing. <laughs> She's just somebody who's definitely going to go down um, in history without a doubt. Um, and I can, yeah. you've also, I mean, obviously you're just, I mean, you know, it's like how there's like people just have one name. Like you just say, I can, everyone goes omotoso. Like everyone just knows <laughs> you're that guy. Not in my circle. I still got to introduce myself. Oh, it's because they're just fronting. Don't even worry. Please, I beg. They're just lying now. Eh. Oh, Everywhere wow. I've been around the continent, people know your name, bruh. Um, <laughs> did you see how I switched all those different country accents? Do you see? I can yeah, act, Akin, yeah, I but you're not, you, you still don't have a heart for me to be in your productions. Don't worry. I'm hmm. just saying, it's, it's just we got to find the right project. You know, <laughs> I want you to come out correct. I want you to come out correct. <laughs> His way of saying we need to find a very easy role that should not go mess up but i, I came before <laughs> before we let you go um just talk to us about um just your latest work um and what you're excited about in terms of um product projects that you're working on um yeah what's your forecast well uh, you know also just speaking about nigeria there's another phenomenal uh, producer called ego boyo mm. who i just finished a film called uh, hotel called memory wow. which is a silent film Yes. Um, and um, that, and that, sorry, sorry to interject. To have a silent film in Nigeria is amazing because Niger- you know you yeah, know your people. You guys, you don't know how to talk, how to not talk. <laughs> <laughs> we had a phenomenal, we had a phenomenal screening at the at the Lights Camera Africa Festival wow. where people were totally blown away, um, and the experience was very unique. Yeah. So just to also salute producers like Ego who, mm. who are brave and wanting to try new things in the Nigerian space. And the film premiered at the Black Star Film Festival in, wow. in um, Philadelphia, and it won the audience, uh, the audience prize for favorite experimental film. So Amazing. Hotel Called Memory, uh, which stars Nigerian uh, Inse, who is a big star. She's awesome, stars, yeah. I think she was in yeah, 50 as well, if I'm not mistaken. She was in 50 yes, as well. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So it stars Inse. It also stars Mabatu, wow. Nomzamo Mbata. So wow. we have a good Pan-African sort of um um cast going there yeah. and and you know more more upfront obviously uh via which we which mm-hmm. which opens in cinemas october 27th here mm-hmm. yeah, which has also been quite phenomenal i think you've you've won three awards for that <clears throat> yes yes we've done we've done very well very blessed with the film and now <laughs> and now uh, you know it's coming out um in cinemas here yeah. and um you know I'm, I'm still i'm writing new things um got a documentary coming out next year something mm-hmm. called the color of wine which right. looks at the history of the transition from apartheid to democracy, but through the through the lens of the wine industry, mm-hmm. um, and looking at four black filmmakers as they try to break into the market in the in the, from '94 onwards. So, I think mean, I'm continuing to write and you know keep the on the hustle and the grind, trying to bring these stories. You know, and just you know before we wrap up, as you write, don't forget to write me into something. Just kidding, I can't. <laughs> Akin, <laughs> just to um, if you can give us your social media handles and then also wrap up by telling us what it is that you, when you think Africa's state of mind, what comes to your mind? Um, when I think Africa's state of mind, I think excellence. Mm. 
I like that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Akin. Enjoy the rest of your day. And congratulations on all your past work, your current work, and on all the amazing things that you're doing. And thank you for telling Africa's stories and helping us document who we are as a people. Thank you so much. And all the best to you as well. And uh, see you on set soon. (laughs) Akin, please, me, I'm Ugandan. I'll believe you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on Africa State of Mind with Lee Kusuma. Don't forget to hit us up on Twitter at Africa State Mind. Twitter was a bit selfish with the with the word allocation that they gave us. So it's at Africa State Mind. On Facebook, join us on Africa State of Mind. Um, be part of the Facebook group. We'll be posting all the pictures and just like a few cool things. And, and I think I'll probably start to write a few because as you can tell, I like to talk a lot. So maybe I should write a lot and then that'll make me not talk as much if you know what I'm saying. But then also be sure to Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to iTunes, Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Subscribe to the podcast and also let us know who it is that you want us to profile on the show. Thank you so much. Africa State of Mind is all about excellence.